You may be seated. Mayen, thank you for reading for us this morning God's Word. That's powerful. It's, it's um, an incredible experience for me. I want to welcome Nor Alalem, Light of the Nations, uh, to our church. We're just so thankful that you're here. Um, yes, thank you. I've loved, I've loved a number of things that we've done over the years. I'm seeing some Camp Elam shirts and I think that's so cool. That's the last, one of the last things we got to do together was uh, going to camp. And uh, that, was, that was a blast. Um, I think about youth ministry is one of those things we've, we've done together. In fact, I, I think of Isaac, who's up here praying, who's, who's uh, taught our middle schoolers uh, as we did youth ministry together. And with Chris Darden at Calvary Highlands Ranch, um, that was great. In fact, I think of the people here in our church as well, besides Isaac, that were involved in student ministries and I think of, I think of uh, Ruline Coons back there helping out with the middle school. That was awesome. And Allie Berg with the high school. And so some of you students, Sudanese students, you know who those people are. And now you get to see some other faces of our church as well. And so we're super thankful for you and, and uh, to see how God continues to be good to your church and to bless you. And so I, I pray and I hope that this morning you feel affirmed that as we worship together as some of you in Nur al-Alem, that, that you get the sense that we see you as our brothers and sisters in Christ and nothing less. All right, that's, that's the encouragement that we want to share with you. And I also want to share with you the huge testimony that you are to us. In fact, I mean, not just our church, but we're a part of the Colorado Baptist. And I'll just tell you, um, you know, a, a church like yours is very unique in the Colorado Baptist. And so I was hoping that we could get Dr. Michael Proud to speak here, but he's actually coming July 31st. So I hope you'll come back uh, for that. Um, but, but that he needs to see your story and your testimony of, of how God providentially brought you to this area, this city, Denver, and the spiritual work that God has done in your hearts to make you devoted to Jesus. That makes our hearts so glad, and that's a story that needs to be shared. And you have an impact. In fact, I'll just share, my wife said, Gabe, you better share this. Uh, but I, I met somebody named Red. Does anybody in here know the guy that I'm talking about, Red? Carol, Ronnie, Kyle, you've met him. I'm wondering if any, any, anybody at Nora Lim had met Red. Um, Red, Red, I met him a month and a half ago when he missed the bus going down Arapahoe. And he asked if I could give him a ride. And so I did. I, I gave him a ride down to the next station so he could hop downtown to work where he works. And, um, and, and I said, I'm a part of the church that's right here. And he said, oh, oh, I know your church. And I said, you know our church. This is... This is, uh, I don't know where you know our church from because I'm highly involved in our church. I didn't tell him who I was, but I said, I've never met you. I've never seen you before. And he said this, he said, your church, your church is so open-hearted and loving to Denver's Sudanese refugees. And I thought, wow, I've never heard anybody say that about our church, but our partnership and the fact that we share space helped me start a relationship with Red on a good note. You know, he's, he's not from the U.S. Um, in fact, I think he's from Ethiopia. I could be wrong about that. But the fact that we had a relationship gave me a platform to have a conversation about, about Jesus with somebody who's coming from a Muslim faith. 
And that was powerful to me. And so thank you so much that you would partner with us in so many things, including, including this service as well. Oh, I think about Undivided uh, two, over two years ago now, or two years ago, where we got to talk about race and the gospel, how the gospel brings people together, unites people. And as society was splintering more and more, you were a picture to us of, I need to get to know and understand people that look different than me, that have different stories than me, that aren't the same age, that weren't necessarily born in the same kind of communities that I was. That was so powerful for me. For me. There are so many lessons that I learned from that have taken away that I will never forget. And so I want you to know this, that I love and value you so much, and so does our church. So um, this morning, what I want to talk about is building up community. And before I do that, before I do that, I'm getting the third base coach's signal here, that um, we, have, we have class up to, up to kindergarten, up to kindergarten. So if kids up to the age of kindergarten want to head out, they can head back to class with Miss Kelly Great. What a good group of kids. And these kids, you're going to be so good, aren't you? Because Miss Kelly, she's got a big class there. <laughs> you're walking out so well. But that's a, someone might want to check in with Miss Kelly, make sure she doesn't need an assistant there. Um, oh, perfect timing. So now I want to talk about a kid's book. Now that the kids are gone, let's talk about a kid's book. How many of you have read the book, The Big, the big Red Tractor and the Little Village? How many of you? Just my wife. Okay, good. Good. Um, um, I'm going to ask next week, so make sure you check out the book. You read it. Read it to a kid or a grandkid or a sibling. But Francis Chan wrote this book, The Big Red Tractor and the Little Village. I love this book. It's got a powerful, uh, a powerful point to it. But there's this village. There's this village, this community of people, and they have a tractor, one single tractor in the community. And they pull this tractor out every spring. And they work so hard to use this tractor to, to till every field in the community so they can plant seed that they can have food and eat. And so here's what they do. They pull out the tractor out of the barn and half the community ties ropes onto the front and they pull that tractor with the plow attached behind it and half the community gets behind the tractor and they push that tractor with all their energy, with all their strength. And it is hard and it is long and they work all summer to push and to pull that tractor so that it plows the field. They plant just enough seed that they can eat, just enough for their community, and survive through the winter. Until one, one day, one of the people in the village, Farmer Bob, is messing around in the attic, which good things happen when you're messing around in the attic. He was in the attic of the barn, and he found two things. He found two things that the community didn't even know existed. And the one was the keys to the tractor. And the other was the owner's manual, how to operate the tractor. 
He found both of those things, and he found them late at night, and he stayed up the rest of the night reading the owner's manual about how this tractor is actually supposed to start up and and make noise, and the engine is starting to rotate, and, and it powers the wheels, and it's actually the tractor that pulls the plow and not the people. And he was so amazed. So the next morning, after no sleep, he, he goes to the rest of the village, his little village, and he says, I just learned that the tractor actually pulls the plow. We don't have to. And you know what everybody in the little village said? You're full of baloney. That's not true. You don't know what you're talking about. That's fantasy. That's fiction. That's not true. Farmer Bob was disappointed, so so that night, by himself, he took those keys. After everybody went to bed, he fired up that tractor, and he plowed every field in the entire community in one night using the tractor. Everybody woke up the next morning. They found Farmer Bob, and he was asleep on the tractor, and they looked at the hills around the community amazed. Farmer Bob was right. He had plowed every field in the community. All their work that took them by hand all summer was done. They planted so much food that they had, this little village had enough food to start go, uh, started to go to the other villages and to share food with them. They took along the operation manual and they shared it with all the other people and told them about the, the power of the tractor. You know, in the story, which is, which is a story about the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, we learn that because they didn't understand how the tractor worked, it held back their village. They didn't know you could turn on a tractor, fire it up, and it would plow all the hills. They didn't know that. And so they pushed and they pulled by themselves. It was frustrating. It held their community back. I've got one question for us this morning. So we look at 1 Corinthians, and it's this. What is holding your church back? What's holding your church back? That's what Paul's writing about right here in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. He's writing about one particular thing that's holding back the church. And it has something to do with this story. And I'm going to say it's this, that they don't understand God's design for the church and how he empowers, energizes, how he manifests himself in the Spirit of God among the church. They've got some things backwards, and and relationships are messy, and it's holding back the church in Corinth. And I'm going to share one other thing that's holding it back, um, because Paul talks about a few, but there's one in particular. But what is it for you? We've got two churches represented here, and so we're going to have some different applications, and, and I want you to take to heart whatever you believe that God is speaking to you from his word. But perhaps it could be this. Maybe, maybe you feel like, I belong in my church. I know I belong in my church. I love the community. But I don't know how I serve. I just don't know what I'm to give. I don't know how my church should be utilizing me. 
in my gifts as a follower of Jesus. I belong, but I don't know how to serve here. Maybe that's holding your church back. Uh, Secondly, this, there's no ministry, there's no official ministry in my church that utilizes my gifting, that really recognizes that or or, or really lets me use it in in maybe the worship service or or other ministries. Or, Or maybe it's this. Thirdly, it's this. As soon as I say spiritual gifts, you say, what's that and do I have one? And maybe that's you. And so you'd say, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. I, I don't know uniquely how, how I help to build up the body of Jesus, his church, different than, than Gabe or, or Kyle or, or Joe or whoever it is. What's your gifting? You don't know how God gifted you. Or lastly, this. It's a different attitude, and it's this. I don't, I don't need other people to serve on this ministry, in this group, because I can do it all myself. Those are some, those are some broken attitudes we see in the church, and they hold the church today back from being what God designed her to be. And in Corinth, Paul's going to nail exactly what it is. This is a knowledge message. Paul's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know. The first application is we have to know what Paul says we need to know. That's the first thing. We need to know what Paul wants us to know uh, because there's an ignorance of the Spirit's role in the church. And here's what's done in Corinth. It stunted the maturity of the church. It's crippled their witness to the city of Corinth because that's where the church is that Paul's writing to. It's in Corinth. But most of all, most of all, and this is the big one, that it has actually encumbered. It has made coming together to worship God a hard, a difficult, a messy, a tedious thing. It is stressful and frustrating when the church comes together in Corinth. It's stressful and frustrating. Have you ever felt like that? Paul says you need to understand. You need to understand. You need to know something. We're going to learn something this morning. Our minds are going to be changed. You see, some didn't know how they belonged or fit into the church. And there were some people who had specific spiritual gifts that they emphasized over as more important than other gifts in the church. Pastor Roger's going to talk about some of that next week. They had gotten used to competition. They'd gotten used to rivalry. You know, they didn't approach things as a team. You know, um, I've got tons of examples of this, and I really don't want to share them because they're just nasty, right? But there was, there was territory within the church. Instead of a grace and humility of we come together, and this is my family, and whatever's good for them, that's what I want. It was messed up. I would put it this way. In, in Corinth, there were all these issues going on, but they had lost their wonder, their wonder about how God had created and sustained his people as a community. I'll put it this way. They lost this wonder. Why? Because they could not see the spiritual masterpiece of God in the mess of division in relationship brokenness. 
They couldn't see the masterpiece of God's church. And so this morning, what I want you to know and understand is this, that God created his church in a masterful way. He had a great design, kind of like this tractor. You know, I think sometimes we can approach the church more like we are pulling and pushing a tractor than we are leaning into how God empowers his church to live and be the church today. But I, I want to share, uh, maybe you've heard of a pastor, his name's Tim Keller, and he answers the question, what is the church? And I'll tell you where he gets his answer from. It's from the Bible, but he's also getting it from the Westminster Catechism, which is a document that was written in 1646. So here's a definition that Christians have used about the church that I didn't come up with this week, okay? Let's just say this. This is not a new definition. This is an age-old definition based on Scripture. What is the church? A community elected for eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. Even what we're doing this morning, it, what we are doing, we do it together. That as, as disciples, we're not called just individually to follow Jesus, but we are called collectively. And there's something awesome and beautiful about that. But the big point that I want to draw out of this definition is that the church is a community. The church is, first and foremost, a community. In fact, uh, we could really help, help the next generation out if we referred to this building less and less as the church, right? In fact, I've, we've, got the, we've got the heretical kid song. You guys ready for a heretical kid song that we've been propagating for years? I learned it as a kid. Maybe, maybe you did too. Maybe you learned it when you were an adult, right? Right? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Yeah, that song's heresy. Okay, I'm picking fun at it. I'm picking fun. Maybe you can pick fun of it too. But here's, here's how I want to change that song. All right, because this is the reality of it. The church is not a building. And the more that the next generation sees this building and property not as the church, the better we are off. Secondly, the more that people that aren't Christians look at this building and think that is the church, the worse off we are. We want people to see this as a building that God's given us to steward, and we've gotten to do that together, which is awesome. And I've loved doing that, by the way, right? Because I know Nur Alalem, I know what kind of church you are, and when you see something broken in this church, you, you just roll up your sleeves and fix it. I love that. I love that about our church as well, about the things that I don't hear about and they just get fixed. You're stewarding the property, right? But here's the truth, right? Here is the building. Here is the steeple. Open the doors. The church is God's people. That's the truth. The church is God's people, a community. The church is not a space that we meet in. The church is not a place the church is the community. The church is the community of God. And that is important as we talk about God's design. Here's the first truth about God's design. That God gives spiritual gifts in the community of Christ. Spiritual gifts. Okay, so if you look, if you look um, 
we get to know exactly what Paul's talking about, right? Verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Wow, there's just a softball right there for us to hit right out of the park, you know, just lobbed in for us. You know, do you, it's like me just giving you the lane, like just go make that layup, you know, I'll just let you do it. You know, this is easy. We're talking about spiritual gifts this, this morning. But there was a fear, there was a fear that when the people came together for worship, there were a couple of gifts that were leading out front, and they were holding the rest of the church hostage. There was um, a fear, and here's the fear, um, of being taken advantage of, of being persuaded by certain people in the church who had influence and they were using some spectacular gifts to lead the church in. And people in the church were wondering, is this good or bad? And I don't know. Because, because most of the people in Corinth um, are referred to as, uh, what does Paul say in verse 2? He calls them, that nice word, pagans. Pagans. What Paul is emphasizing by using this word is that you know, you, you weren't born from Israel. You're, you're not Jewish. And in Corinth, that means that these people typically would be worshiping idols. And people would do lots of things. Lots of priests of different false gods would do terrible things. And they would do convincing acts so that people should follow or listen to them. And Paul is highlighting, hey, before you knew Jesus, in your ignorance, you were led astray. And I know that you're afraid that in the church, you're going to be led astray by people. And there's a dynamic that Paul talks about, and we're going to talk about it. A wolf in sheep's clothing. Someone who doesn't follow God, doesn't belong in the community of Jesus, trying to lead the people of Jesus away from him. And they're afraid of that. Verse 2 says, you know that when you were pregnant, when you were pagans, when you were of the nations, which I love, this fits in with your name, light of the nations, right? That Jesus redeemed us from the nations. And this is awesome because why, he calls them pagans, right? But he doesn't call them pagans in the present or the future tense. He says, when you were, when you were. There's an awesome gospel truth that everyone here can savor, and it's what did Jesus redeem you from? Paul holds out for the Corinthians to see and to motivate them. You were. You're not anymore. But you were pagans before Jesus reached down and redeemed you, before he saved you. And when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. So it could be their own sinful desires, and they liked how the party was going at this particular idol, and so they, they took part in it, and now they have that regret, that conviction of the Spirit, that wasn't right, I shouldn't have done that. How could I have been so blind? And as they walk into the church, they don't want to be led astray in the same ways. They don't want to be led astray in the same ways. You know, it's really interesting. Um, Jesus gives the answer key here for how to know you're following someone in worship, whether it's pastoral leadership, ministry leadership, whether it's just somebody's particular gifting, how you can discern whether they are right or wrong, whether they are helping you to follow Jesus or whether they are leading you astray 
And, and Paul gives the answer key right here. I, I think of a polygraph. You know what a polygraph is, right? Where they hook you up to a machine and they, they measure your heartbeat and your pulse and, and they ask you questions to see, are you lying or not? There's a bold statement that somebody made, I think it was early 2000s, that did you know that a polygraph test, supposed to tell whether you're lying or not, has never officially caught a spy in the history of our country? And, and people debate whether that's true or not. Oh, no, they really did. But I'm just like, it's, it's, it's not very good. We still use it today all the time. My neighbor just went in for a polygraph test as a part of his job. But our country has never officially caught someone who is trying to lie to our country through a polygraph. But Jesus right here gives us, gives us a polygraph that you and I can use every day to measure who we should let influence us and who we should not. Okay, so listen to this. Listen to the answer key. It helps us to recognize the wolves in sheep's clothing. It's a knowledge that gives us power. It's verse three. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's saying. That your first voice and first authority is Jesus in his word, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Everything that Jesus said and, and claimed about himself, that, that we should turn and follow him, that he is the son of God. If they contradict Jesus, then don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. But if they affirm and point you in the direction of Jesus, if they affirm the teaching that Jesus told us that we've passed on to you, then you can know the only way that they said that was through the Holy Spirit. And there might be some differences. Did you know that Jesus' disciples didn't get along with everybody that was representing Jesus? They didn't. And Jesus told them, just leave them alone. Because if they're speaking the truth about me, there's no way that they're under the influence of Satan. If they're speaking the truth about me, then it is the Spirit of God. That's the big point right here. It's how the Spirit relates to the Son of God. Listen to this. The Spirit and the Son of God. When someone says Jesus really isn't the Son of God, he's not truly God, or, or he didn't really die on the cross like he said he did, or when they contradict Jesus' teaching, they say something like, well, he's not the only way. Like, Buddhists are really good people, I've, you know, or um, I've got a neighbor who's Buddhist, and they're a really good person, really good person. But when we contradict Jesus and say, well, they don't follow Jesus, but they, they must be going to heaven too, don't listen to those people. Jesus is giving us the test right here. If they contradict me, if they contradict my message, because the Spirit of God in us leads us to what? Loyalty to Jesus. The Spirit of God leads us to trust and follow Jesus. The Spirit of God humbles our prideful hearts so that we can listen to Jesus' voice and not our own. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our own hearts. And so when you hear someone 
speaking something that's leading us away or to dishonor Jesus or contradict who he says he is, then you know, obviously, obviously, I'm not supposed to listen to you. I think about this, kids. You know, I hope, I hope um, you feel free to be able to talk to your parents about anything because there are lots of different messages in our world. A lot of different messages you could hear at school or, or hanging out with friends or, or online that you could hear. And I hope that you can go to your parents. And parents, this is a good thing. Just letting kids know any question that you're an open book, that they can come and ask you about those things. Why is that important? Because you want your kids and your teens to listen to your voice. That in their hearts and minds, that your voice has more influence than, than even a teacher. That's what you want. That's what Jesus wants for us. That's what we see. That we listen to his authority. And so when someone contradicts it, that we can write them off. That we can truly say, I'm not listening to you because you contradict Jesus. You contradict his message. You contradict his identity. You know, we talked about it and we sung about it. We're going to talk more about it. But um, that Jesus is Lord. There, there's another way to think about this. Uh, and, and uh, you know, since we elect a president, I think this is a good word to use. But the Puritans talked about the presidency of the Spirit. That the Spirit presides over the body of Christ. And what they mean by that is that as we take steps, we need to understand that we believe that the Holy Spirit is in us, working in us, that we're empowered by Him, that as we take steps, we literally trust in Him, the presidency of the Spirit, that He presides in our heart, that as we take steps of, of faith, we know it's because of the Spirit's influence. And that we know when we're tempted to do the opposite, we know that's not his influence in our life or anybody else's. That's our discernment right there. How do they relate to Jesus? Are they submitting to him or not? Okay, here's the second point. The one spirit gives all kinds of gifts, all different kinds of gifts. Look at these words in verse four. You see gifts. It's what the spirit gifts. It comes from this word charisma, Right? That's where we get the, the word charismatic. What we receive from the Spirit. Now, I want you to see the Trinity in these, what Paul's doing in verse 4. To see that the Spirit gives gifts. But then he goes on, he moves on from the person of the Spirit to talk about the person of the Son. When he brings up service or work, we are given that service or work from God so that we can serve the Son of God. Look at verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And verse 5, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Do you get that? We're serving the same Lord. It might be in different ways. You know, Vic and Sharon are back in the nursery right now. Kelly's teaching preschool, hopefully with somebody else. <laughs> All those kids. That's great. I love that. What a good problem. We've got people doing different things. I saw Scott greeting out. We've got an AV team, worship team. Man, we've got a worship team. Lots of different people that are involved today. Lots of different ways that we serve, but one Lord. 
Just like there are lots of different gifts, but one spirit who gives them. You see the contrast? You've got the, on the, you've got the unity on one side, the one source coming from God, the spirit in all different kinds of gifts. And, and you've, got, you've got one Lord that's being served, and he's being served in lots of different ways. Not everybody's the same. Not everybody's serving in the same way. And then this work. And, and work literally in verse 5 means power. Or verse 6. And there are varieties of activities. Activities. But it is the same God who empowers. See that unity. There's one God the Father. And he empowers every activity, every work of Jesus' kingdom. Then Paul uses this, this word manifestations, and it describes all these gifts, all the service, all the work within the church. And the point is this, that there are diverse gifts that are empowered by the one Spirit of God. The gifts are given by the Spirit. The one Lord is served, and all of them are empowered by the Father's plan. Paul is illustrating you've got diversity but you've got unity, the Trinity. Paul illustrates the diversity of the gifts. What does he do? He goes into them. He talks about an utterance of wisdom. If you want to look at that, in chapters 1 and 2, he talks about this wisdom of the cross, how it's foolishness to the world, and that there are some people who have this ability to just make profound statements that connect the gospel to everyday life. He's saying some people have that specific gift where they can practically apply this truth this utterance of knowledge, he talks about knowledge again in 1 Corinthians 8. It's a knowledge from God that people use their insight in order to build up the younger, the weaker brother or sister in Christ. They know not only what's right or wrong, but they also know what's best and what's most helpful. I think a lot of these people are probably teachers. They're the ones who are investing in other disciples those are the first two gifts that he highlights. And I just want to share, there are a number of different gifts that he's going to go into. And what they're illustrating for us is all the different gifts, all the different kinds of people within the body, and yet the one spirit that empowers them. So look at this, this gift of faith. Now, now Paul's not talking about a saving faith here. Paul's talking about a faith to move mountains, a, a faith that, that quite honestly believes that God is going to do something, provide something, and then he does it. And they believe that he will. Maybe you've got examples of this. Somebody who believes something would happen. This happens to me. Even happened to me this week. I got called out in my community group. I shared with you, right? I'm, I'm going. I want to represent Jesus somewhere. But I was going there alone. And someone brought up, maybe you should go with somebody else. And you know what I thought? My first thought was this. Man, that's going to be hard. I've asked people. It's just not a good fit. I thought, it's impractical. Is that a thought of faith? Man, God can move mountains. No, that wasn't. Right? I was the doubter. But I'm sure as someone who has the gift of faith thought about that, probably prayed. And you know what happened this week? I've been, I've been going to this one spot playing pickup basketball once a week for four months now. I have never met another Christian not even someone who I thought even slightly had the character of a Christian, right? Like this is, this is one of those spots where it's like, 
you know, um, Jesus is obviously not getting glory here. It's, it's a pretty rough place. And who did I bump into? I bumped into this guy named Javier. And he feels like he needs to have a conversation with me, which is also very strange. And then we get to talking, and, and, and I share why I'm there. He's like, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. He said, I had no idea you were a part of this church, that you were here representing Jesus. He said, I'm a Christian, too, and I go to this church. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Here I was doubting. Like, this is so impractical, getting someone else to come to the gym. And someone came who I didn't even ask. Someone who, who I felt comfortable enough that I could trust enough that I could share. I'm here because I want to represent Jesus. That was awesome. God provided a partner, and a person of faith believes that, hey, when there's a need, like, it's going to be met. I'll just tell you what, and you probably learned from that story. Man, that is not my gift. I need other people in the church that would pray for things like that, that I so easily doubt. The gift of healing this is probably talking about praying for people who are sick, anointing them, asking God to mercifully restore them as a foretaste of this new heaven and new earth that we as Christians look forward to. The working of miracles, this, this wonder of things that are, are nearly unexplainable, but it might be spiritually healing somebody. You know, maybe they've got a, a, a spiritual sickness or, or um, a mental sickness that they need prayer for and people that love to pray for that, to intercede for them. And then prophecy. And this is one I want to sit on because Paul's going to come back to it. I want to explain it. This isn't predicting future events. This is more, this is more about speaking forth a spontaneous revelation from God. Now, prophecy as a gift in the church is not on par with the authority of God's word. It's not. It is tested by it. In fact, what did Paul do? He just opened up. Hey, how do you know? Well, when someone speaks and they tell you that they're doing it by the Spirit of God, you check that message with the word of God. If they are contradicting Jesus and his message, then you know it's not true. We don't canonize these words that people speak, and this is different from teaching. In fact, I'd say this, that when someone teaches the Word of God, where they're, they're taking a passage, they want to explain it, they want to help get this passage in our lives so that we're living it out and thinking it, that that is more authoritative than a subjective revelation, spontaneous revelation from somebody that might be to encourage someone, to build them up, maybe some insight into their life. I want to share two cautions with this. And I'm, going to let, I'm going to let other people actually share these cautions. Donald Gee is an Assemblies of God leader, and he shares this. He said, many of our errors where spiritual gifts are concerned arise when we want the extraordinary and exceptional to be made the frequent and habitual. Let all who develop an excessive desire for messages through the gifts, take warning from the wreckage of past generations as well as of contemporaries. The Holy Scriptures are a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It, it was so awesome. When Brother Isaac came up and shared Psalm 133, that was so encouraging to me. When brothers dwell in unity. I loved that. 
That was so phenomenal. Leading us by God's word. That is the regular diet of the church, to open up the Bible and to hear what it has to say, to have preachers and teachers who are willing to share with us this is what it means for our lives. Michael Harper says this. He says, prophecies which tell other people what they are to do are to be regarded with great suspicion. You know, it's, it's, it's important. It's important for us to check those prophecies. And then he talks about various kinds of tongues, this glossolia that's speaking in other languages. In Acts, they spoke in known languages. That's how the gospel first spread at Pentecost. This is a little different right here. This is a prayer that Paul's going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 14. If you want to look ahead, you can. 1 Corinthians 14, where people are speaking to God in prayer in a different language. It goes along with prophecy. But I want us to see this, that God purposes each gift for the good of all. If you look at verse 7, that is the verse to highlight. If you like to write in your Bible, man, star that verse. What is the purpose of all these diverse gifts coming from the one triune God? It's to build up the church. What's an evaluation of if somebody's using their spiritual gifts or not? It's, does it build up the church? And so if you're wondering, what kind of gift do I have? I want you to think about this. Perhaps you see a need in your church. And perhaps God's giving you that insight in order for you to be the one who builds up. I think this is so important to, to when we, we discern spiritual gifts is what does the church need? And maybe you're not going to fit every need, but, but think about those needs, and then you think about what has God gifted me to do? I want to leave you uh, with a few things from this passage, and the first is this. Every Christian receives a gift from the Spirit. You've got at least one gift, whether you know it or not. God doesn't pass any Christian by, and everyone receives different gifts. They're not all the same. Also, on the flip side, nobody receives all those gifts. Nobody. There's a dynamic here, and it's a dependence on each other within the community. So don't expect that, that you're going to be able to run a, a ministry team or, or serve in the church and do everything that you think of. No, there will be other people that you will need to depend on. These gifts are for the benefit of the community. They build up. They build up. They don't destroy. I skipped over one gift discernment. I've seen this gift of discernment work so well. In fact, there's a sister in our church that, man, if she would have listened to someone who had this gift of discernment, she would have known early on she was hanging out with the wrong guy. And she didn't. And it's been painful. Really painful. And we've hurt with her. I've also seen that gift of discernment used to manipulate people in the church. Does manipulating build up God's church? No. Not at all. Not at all. I, I had someone um, who said she had the gift of discernment between spirits. And she said, oh, Gabe, you have such a good spirit about you. You've got a heart of gold. Great pastor. 
And she said that as long as I did the things that she liked. <laughs> and, and as soon as we had to confront the way that she was manipulating some other people and spreading lies about them, oh, all of a sudden, she discerned I was a terrible pastor, right? These gifts are used for building up. They don't put the spotlight on us. They glorify the giver and they build up God's church. There's a wide spectrum of gifts authorized by the Spirit of God. These are all empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See the beautiful picture in the mess of relationship. There's one God who's given his Spirit. That means it doesn't hang on you. If you feel this morning like your church hangs on you, if you were gone, it couldn't exist, it couldn't thrive, I want to tell you, you can stop believing that. God's got a beautiful design. And if you step out of the way and, and you allow other people, you invite other people into ministry with you, it's a beautiful thing and you're going to enjoy church so much more. Secondly, it doesn't hang on your pastor's. It doesn't hang on your pastors, or maybe your church has staff. It doesn't hang on your staff members. That doesn't negate that beautiful picture of gifts throughout the entire body. So here's some closing questions. Do you know some of your gifts? Do you know some of your gifts? This is how God saved me and made me to serve his body. I think there are really two, kind of two ways. And the first one I really love and the second one I'm going to offer. But the first is this. If you don't know, ask your community. Ask the people that know you. Hey, how, how do you think I'm gifted? What do you see? Ask your pastors. That is a great way to know. How has God gifted you differently than somebody else to serve his body? The second is this, you, there are lots of spiritual gift surveys, and, and it's not one size fits all, but it, it might be one step in understanding how has God gifted me to build up his church. But the second, the second question is this, how will your gift build up your church community? Because it's not a self-centered gifting, it is a, a gift that is used to build up God's church. And then lastly, believe that God gave me what I have to become what we should be. That's how you need to see a gift. It's like mine personally to be possessed. No, no. You are given this gift for the good of all. Which means when you take this gift and use it for any other way, it's going to end terribly. You need to see that this gift was given from God to me to serve his people, his community. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful picture of the church. That God, we're going to have lots of different people that serve in, in different ways and love and care for people and lead and encourage. People that, that are gifted with hospitality to, to have people over to their house or literally just to make them fit in and belong. God, I pray that you would help them. Help them to do that, to lean into their gifts. I pray for people that are thinking, God, how have you gifted me? I pray that you would give people, uh, give those people others to speak into their life 
into their faith journey, how is it that I specifically am called to build your church up? God, I pray that you would build your church and that, God, we would respect, believe in how you've designed her, that we would be a community elected for eternal life, united by faith, who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. Amen.